Hey, hey, what's up, everybody? It's Athea Sam here. Welcome to Unleash the Man Within. Thank you guys so much for listening. Today, I am sitting down with, man, a guy that I just love and adore, whose name is Matt Baudreau, okay? Matt is pioneering something really different. He has built private education systems for a very long time and um, and has been very successful. He is now kind of on a mission to empower youth, but also call dads and grown men up to biblical standards, and I would say just standards of you know, just healthy malehood. And so he talks about leadership, he talks about marriage, he talks about finding your purpose in life, and he's pioneering something that I think is really, really powerful. He has co-founded Apogee Strong with a guy named Tim uh, Tim Kennedy that some of you may have known of. Uh, He has a pretty good following, and um, they're just, they're moving mountains in some pretty incredible ways. So we brought him on the podcast for a couple of reasons. Uh, the first little bit, we start talking about kind of youth and the struggles that young boys face and why they face those struggles and what they can do to deal with some of those struggles. And we talk about it on more of a broader level. We didn't necessarily get into pornography addiction and sexual misbehavior specifically, but we kind of just talk more on a broader scale. But then we got into what it looks like to really be a man who is leading well in his own life, in his family, at work, etc. We talked about some really practical strategies, the board of directors concept, absolutely genius. You guys are going to love that. And then we just talked a little bit about, you know, what what the future may hold and and what it could look like for us to really take responsibility as men in our lives and make a difference in the society as a result. So before I share the interview with you, let me just read a little bit of this guy's profile so you have an idea of who you're about to listen to. As a keynote speaker, consultant, and coach to organizations around the world, Matt Bodro's clients have ranged from Wells Fargo, Honeywell, and Lockheed Martin to American Eagles, Cedar Sinai, and the United States Air Force. Matt has a reputation as a provocative thought leader in educational and personal development practices. He's a two-time featured TEDx speaker, and he was named Corporate Trainer of the Year at Stanford University, having spoken to over half a million people across the world. He has co-founded uh, Apogee Strong with Tim Kennedy, a mentorship program designed for young men. And this has blossomed into a mission to bring back classic masculinity in the home and fueled the launch of Apogee Strong Dads program in 2023. So you guys are in for a real treat. Without further ado, here's my interview with Matt Baudreau. So here's the million dollar question. How are men like us who work hard, have good motives and a God-given purpose supposed to fulfill the calling on our lives and the dreams in our hearts all while establishing sexual integrity, thriving relationships, and a meaningful connection with God? That is the question, and this podcast will give you the answers. My name is Sathya Sam. Welcome to Unleash the Man Within. Okay, well, I'm here with Matt Baudreau, and we have a mutual friend in Larry Hagner who set us up, and he raved about what you're doing, man, and when I saw some of the work that you're building with Apogee Strong, I thought, man, we need to get this guy on here. So thanks for carving out some time for us today. Thank you, man. Honor's mine. Larry is such a good guy. Such he a good is, guy. yeah. And oh, he's, he's amazing. He's amazing. And when he's like, hey, you've got to meet this person here, I, there's no like, let me see, let me dive. It's just like, yep, got it. Sweet. Let's name it. Name the time and place. So it's an yeah. honor. Oh, that's really cool. So I, I know that you know a little bit about what we do. We're really helping men that are struggling with sexual misbehavior. And I think that's where I saw the intersection for my work and your work, because um, you're really strong on leadership. You've done tons of work in sort of the education space, um, especially targeting youth, which to me is like, 
if there's if we're ever going to be preventative about any systemic or societal issues, it has to be with the youth. And I think we're a little bit slow to get there. Uh, but then you're also doing work with men, like just helping boys who maybe are stuck in you know mature bodies actually become men in their heart of hearts. So we got a lot to talk about today. But I'm you're you're a very positive, uh, proactive kind of guy. You have a lot of passion. Where does all this come from, Matt? That's a, that's a great question. I appreciate that. And I love the way you have framed this already with the distractions and the perpetual boyhood and all that. So good. Um, the the passion comes from a number of different places, you know, from, from being the young man that grew up and did really well at school, but still had no idea who he was, to mm-hmm. the young man who tried to step into adulthood by just copying the sins of the of, of his father. Right. And, hmm. and being the guy that his father was versus figuring out the right way uh, to being in education and seeing all of these distractions for our young men and how they are being led to perpetual boyhood. Yeah. To uh, speaking to, you know, I've spoken on stages now to close to half a million people. And a lot of these are Fortune 500 companies that are hiring me because they're saying, we've got all these young people and they're really smart. But we kind of want to fire all of them. There is this perpetual <laughs> immaturity, right? And they got great grades, yeah. but why are they 27? But we feel like they're acting like they're 16, right? And so I'm seeing these patterns over and over and over again, not just young people being distracted, but like you said, men who have been taught to be perpetual boys. So there is a need here, you know, and, and that's the one maybe one gifting that I have is to be able to recognize patterns and knowing that I was stepping into fatherhood was responsible now for raising up uh, younger generations, including a son of my own. Uh, You know, I can't just sit on the sidelines. One of the rules in our house is no complaining, fix it. And this is my attempt to fix something that I see is wrong. Oh man, that's absolutely fantastic. So I do want to get into your work. It's so important, but I cannot gloss over what you said just at the beginning there. High achieving academically, but didn't know who you were. And uh, dude, like huge bell goes off in my heart because I was that guy as well. Skipped a grade, had my honors degree by the time I was 20, the whole deal. And in my early mid-20s, just felt like a lost little puppy on this planet. Like did not know who I was and didn't even know how to really figure it out. Like by God's grace, I think I sort of stumbled into some really wise people who were able to kind of show me the way. But what did that journey look like for you? How did you realize like, okay, academia is not everything and high achievement is yeah. not going to get me everything I want. And how did you actually start to discover yourself? Oh, gosh, I love this question. So this is one of my favorite shows already that I've gotten to. <laughs> so, um, you know, I tell people I recognize the pattern very, very early. And again, this is one of the giftings that I believe I've been, I've been given. I remember being four years old in kindergarten and the students in the class started getting grouped together and we were given colors. And I remember very specifically that I was in the red group. And I remember at four years old, I remember going, hmm, well, that group over there, they think needs the most help with this task. That's the group <laughs> they feel like needs the 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 next amount. And then we're the ones that they feel like are going to be able to handle this pretty well. I could see that they were already grouping that. So that was really my Jeez. first inclination that there's a game going on here. So I was a people pleaser. I wanted to make sure I played the game well. So I always looked at school as the game that I knew how to play. Straight A's was a breeze. And it wasn't because I was overly intelligent. I just knew the game of school. 
And so I knew that going through. So I got my straight A's because it was easy to do so once you knew the game. But my focus was on sports and girls, right? That was it. And so (laughs) then I graduated and went, okay, now what? Like, I don't, well, everybody's going to college. I got into all these colleges. I guess that's what I'm supposed to do. So I'll do that, right? I still got my straight A's, got better at sports, got better at girls, turned down a job at the White House. And that's a whole different story, but came out and literally was a, it was a, come to Jesus moment of like, I don't know anything about myself. What do I do? And again, by God's grace, it was, it was this series of, okay, I, first of all, I just need to get a job. And then by at least going in and trying really hard to be the best I could, it led to this series of events that brought me to Stanford university and the entire education took off from there. But, um, you know, it was it was really this very fortunate series of events. I'm thankful for the work ethic because that's what brought me out of it. Then once I got into Stanford, as far as working there, then the whole game of school started to really unfold. I could see that it's not the meritocracy that people believe it to be. I got to yeah. see that from the inside. And then yeah. naively went down further steps to try to fix things by going into, you know, become a teacher, become a school administrator in both public and private sectors. And that's when I really started doing the deep dive of like, wait, why do we do school this way? And when you start to ask that question and you see the history of why it was created the way it's created, it's the whole, once you see how the sausage is made, you don't want to eat it anymore. Right? <laughs> and it was definitely that for me. So now that I understand it, um, I would never put my own children or anybody else's children into a conveyor belt system ever. Wow. Well, um, yeah, you're, you're speaking my language. I mean, I was a university researcher for three years and uh, three years was enough for me to see the, the underbelly of academia and yes, sir. some of the stuff that goes on. Um, I think, you know, there's there's lots of movements now about homeschooling, unschooling. Mm-hmm. These are becoming a bit more commonplace. And sometimes the people, not everybody, but some people at the front of these movements are the college dropouts and the people who, who just kind of, you know, they turned their eyes to it from the get-go, never really got in it. Yeah. Your story is different. You, you said you were in, you were at Stanford, you were in the education system, yep. you had like the noble endeavor or the noble intent that you maybe corrected and fixed some of the meritocracy that was there. But you ultimately landed on, you know, building private education systems. Yep. Um, and, and you use this language uh, before we hit record. Wanting to create a school that you would feel comfortable and confident sending your own kids to. Bingo. So can can you talk a little bit about what 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 exactly were you building and what what do those schools exactly include? Yeah, I appreciate that question. Yeah, that's I did get to see it from the inside out and again ask those questions of why. And so then um I was always in the system what I was I refer to myself as creatively insubordinate. Uh, I was always going where the students were leading and really trying to uncover who that young person was individually, not who this class is and how do I get the class to go somewhere? It's what does this person need and when do they need it? How about her? What does she need? When does she need it? How about him? All of these stories are different. And so you start to realize that education is wildly personal. Mm. Not everybody needs the same thing at the same time. They're not coming from the same background. They're not coming from the same home life. They don't have the same interests. They don't have the same inherent God-given gifts. But what they do all have is a gift, and they have the ability to figure out how to use that gift if we as educators would just maintain a position of curiosity about them and the desire to inspire them as individuals, 
right? I liken mm-hmm. it to a, a garden. We don't have to yell at each flower. We don't have to beat each flower. We don't have to scream at them. We don't have to tell all the flowers to do the exact same thing at the same time, all the plants to do the same thing. We just need to make sure the sunlight is good. The water is correct, the, the right amount, not too much, not too little. Make sure the soil is good. And the flowers are going to do what the flowers are going to do. The plants are going to do what the plants are going to do. And they'll do it to the best of their ability. That's what education is. So I went from a school system to really a system of education that unleashes the individuality of each young hero. So we put them in a multi-age environment instead of just being with the people of your same data manufacturer. Uh, They were essentially... Uh, in a microcosm of the real world. They were starting businesses. They were uh, responsible for helping one another, for driving their own individual growth based on their passions. They were taking on massive responsibility at an early age, including helping to run the entire campus uh, by itself. They were really (laughs) stepping into maturity and adulthood at an earlier age and not in a way that strips them of being a child in a way that excites them. And our role as the educators was to do exactly what I said, stand on the sidelines, push a little bit here, ask them questions, not tell them anything, but ask them questions that get them to think, get them to look to the horizon and go, okay, maybe this is possible. And then get them to remain curious while staying inspired. That's what our entire campus was built around. Wow. That's amazing, man. So curious, but staying inspired. How do you keep kids inspired? Because I think that's something people are struggling with a lot today. Uh, You have a lot of iPad parenting going on. I'm not a parent yet, so I'm not going to throw stones too hard. But, you know, um, I think there's a lot of a lot of common practices that are leaving kids actually kind of bored and a little bit drab. And um, right. Other other than like I, I imagine like they obviously kids need to be challenged. They need a lot of activity. I imagine there were different things going on, but um, but d- give us some more ideas. What, what what were you doing to keep the kids inspired? Yeah, that's a really that's a really important question uh, because it's more than just what we should be. You know, when I answer this, it's more than just a here's what we did on a campus. This goes to parents as well. We have a home education tribe as well, where we bring parents through home education and what that looks like. And we meet with them every single week and help them. And that's what we talk about is you're the chief inspiration officer in your house, right? Mm. So it's not, this isn't just for, Hey, educators, how do you inspire young people? It's Hey, parents, right? So I always tell the adults, it starts with you. If you want inspired young people, you need to be inspired, not inspiring. You (laughs) need to be inspired. I can say all I want, hey, I want you to be inspired, right? And if I'm saying it like that, do you believe a word I'm saying, right? And parents fall into that same trap. Educators fall into that same trap. The words are, you can do anything, be anything. Let's be curious. Let's be this. But if your life, your mentality, your attitude does not do the same, there's a disconnect. It's called hypocrisy. And they sniff that out. You want inspired people around you? Be an inspired person first. Educators, parents, period, right? So there's that element to it. The physical component is a big deal. We talk about mental health for our young people. If we don't talk about physical health, then we have no right to talk about the mental health, Mm. period. Physical health is a precursor to strong mental health. 
So, right. hey, let's see, we're giving our kids a bunch of garbage food in schools. It's prison food, right? We have prison <laughs> food or parents are sending them with a bunch of processed trash and garbage. We're shooting them up with all kinds of stuff, whatever big pharma tells us to shoot them up with, whatever they say to medicate them with, right? I promise you, your five-year-old doesn't have a methamphetamine deficiency. We don't need to start <laughs> lining them up with that, right? So we're doing all these things yeah. physically to them and then saying, gosh, what's wrong with the mental you know, with the mental component, we're eliminating physical education and we're saying, gosh, what's wrong with the mental component? We really need to work on that. So that physical part matters. We need to eliminate the distractions. There has never been a time for more distractions, more opportunity to not take on responsibility, whether that is the iPads, whether that's the, the prevalence of video games, which by the way, all of this virtual you know, I don't want to say virtual reality. It's just a virtual world that they get distracted to go live in folds right into what you talk about and what you help people with. Right. So now we've got yeah. this virtual adventure we're going to take on in a video game form instead of going life is this adventure that I get to go tackle. Right. So we're, we're checking off the mental box here and then we're folding it right into doing the same thing with relationships versus actually learning how to have a solid relationship, right? So mm. eliminating the distractions for these young people and then continuing to put heroes in front of them. There are, uh, it's wow. trendy. It's, it's, uh, it's popular uh, to, to be a victim and to idolize victims and to put victim mentality has become this new virtue that we make exciting for young people to grasp onto. It's how victimized can you be? Uh, how traumatized can you be? And how much can you scream that from the rooftops to get other people to accept you? And that's like the new hero worship, right? And we need to get back to telling stories of good humans who are selfless and serving other people um, who yeah. are joyful in that, right? Who are conquering the adventure of life and helping others come along. It's that hero's journey uh, that that uh, Joseph Campbell laid out so well. We need to get back to telling those stories and putting those people in the spotlight to give our young people uh, something to strive for. So I, I think all of those components are are wildly necessary. Yeah, that's really, really good. Can you talk a little bit about why like why people should even care about this? Because I think I think some people are going to hear this and they're going to be like, hey, Matt, that's so awesome. You're doing your little private education thing over there. That's really cool, man. I'm happy for you. Yeah. But I think, um, you know, even in our space, like I'm, I'm admittedly, I'm more on the reactive side of sexual misbehavior, porn addiction, all that stuff. The real heroes are the people that are, you know, targeting legislation to protect kids. Anything that's going to going to help you, I believe, is like the penultimate because it means we can actually change the trajectory down the road. Um, I, I, that's pretty blanketed, but why, why is this so significant for making a larger impact in our society long-term? Yeah. I mean, you, you hit the nail on the head, right? Proactive versus reactive. Uh, Frederick Douglass said it's easier to build strong children than it is to fix broken men. And, mm, wow. and I live by, by that. And it's just, uh, frankly, it's logical. So, you know, a child comes out there and, and again, it's, I'll just blanket statement this. Yes, I understand there are issues and things, and, and I'm not downplaying those. And anybody that's dealing with these, my heart goes out to you. I understand this. I've had stuff that I've worked with my own kids too. But a child comes out, and let's assume a child comes out uh, extraordinarily healthy. They are a blank slate. They are good to go. 
Well, we have a choice. We can keep them healthy or we can do all that we can to make them obese and build in the habits of obesity and sickness uh, for, you know, 20, 30 years. And then at that point go, okay, now let's fix them. Like that makes no sense. Why would we not impart that early on? Because it really comes down to those habits that are being imparted early, right? Why would we not set them up for success? Why would we not build the building on top of a foundation that is strong and structured? Why would we not do that? It is a million times easier than trying to fix something later, because not only are you having to counteract the physical damage or the mental damage that's been done, you're having to try to unwind X amount of years of habits. You and I both know how hard old habits are to kill. Everybody listening knows that too. The Mm -hmm. most dangerous part of schooling of any system like this is the habits that become ingrained. Uh, Mm. It's like trying to leave a, you know, I tell people it's like trying to leave a cult. Even when people leave these, you know, this schooling environment and they try to go homeschool, they'll recreate school at home where I'm going, no, 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 that's still not education. You're trying to leave the cult only to bring the cult back into your house and do the same thing. (laughs) The, The birds born in a cage think flying is an illness kind of thing. Um, so yeah, it's imperative that we start early. Yeah, I agree. I really liked what you said earlier about the integration of the family unit and education, mm-hmm. like yeah. the parents and the educators working together, because mm-hmm. I think personally, I think a lot of the issues that are really exacerbated in our society today are the result of the breakdown of the family unit from you know decades past. I think it's just so integral to a functional society. So we've talked a little bit about the kids, about what it looks like to empower them. And I mean, a loud yes, name to men to everything you just said. I think it's so, it's so spot on. Um, we talked a little bit earlier about how a lot of boys seem to be trapped in the bodies of grown men these days as well. And I wonder if we can shift gears there a little bit because that, yeah. uh, you know, that's our listener demographic are people that are young professionals or middle-aged professionals and um, maybe resonating with that a little bit. Can you expand on it just as a starting point? What is a sign that maybe somebody is a grown man in their body, but they're still a boy at heart? That's a great question. Um, I think, you know, what we're talking about is maturity, right? And and so what are the signs of maturity. And that's going to be something that I think everybody's kind of got their own opinions on. But uh, in my eyes, it is, it really boils down to a a question of responsibility. Uh, Mm. How much responsibility are you willing to and attempt to shoulder? And how intentional are, is, are you with your time and using that time to be responsible and or serve other people. You know, for the young men, for the for the men that we serve, we have them. The first thing we have both groups do is start to audit their time. What does wow. it look like from when you wake up to when you go to bed? What are you actually actively doing? And when they start to take, because again, it's, that's not just a, um, a young person. It's a, it is a, it's an adult problem too, right? And so that's, that's the perpetual boyhood side. So if they take a look and they go, okay, wait a second. I've got multiple hours of the day where I am distract. I'm playing video games. I'm scrolling. I'm, you know, I'm not doing anything other than trying to self-soothe and entertain 
I'm not moving the needle forward. Time is only, it's only invested or it's wasted. There's no net neutral on this. Mm. You're either investing it or you're wasting it. When they look and they see how much time is actually being wasted, I'd say that's proportionate to the amount of maturity that you have. How intentional are you with your time so that you're moving the needle forward? You're serving other people in that. So when you take a look at that and you get an idea, um, that I think tells you if you're more on the the adult side or the perpetual boy side. And again, we've been trained to do this. We've been trained to be distracted, the bread and circus, focus elsewhere. Um, but once you realize that, then it's your responsibility to fix it. Yeah, that's really good. So what are some of the, I mean, I guess the obvious issues that men are facing are the lack of responsibility, the victim mindset, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. What what is what does this start to look like? So they're spending their time poorly. Um, how is it impacting relationships? I mean, you you see both sides of the spectrum, right? Um, can, can you talk a little bit about like what are, what are things that guys are doing that it's like, guys, enough with this. Like, let's stop it. I don't care if everybody else is doing it. Let's let's kind of club this once and for all. Yeah, it's the bread and circus of these distractions. The conversations we're hearing. You start to hear things like, oh, well, marriage is hard. Some of these, uh, you know, raising kids is hard. You know, dude, it's not. It's actually not. <laughs> if you're intentional, are there hard moments? Yes. I mean, we had, you know, my daughters would go more than 24 hours without sleeping as infants. Like there were some hard, like there are some things that are tough. But overall, raising young heroes is not hard. Being married is not hard if you are leading. If you are on this mission, if you're looking at life as an adventure, if you are busy serving other people, if you're intentional about each moment, if you're bringing your tribe along with you, you're really intentional about the conversations, you know, then, then everything is actually pretty dang exciting. Are there still obstacles? Of course. Life is still going to throw all kinds of crazy stuff at you, but you're going to do it together as a family. And that part should not be hard. That should be your safe haven, right? That should mm. be a place of, of joy and, and to be able to recharge. So when I start to hear men say, uh, you know, gosh, I just, I need to be able to, it's my marriage is, um, you know, a, a drag on me. I need to be able to recharge so that I can give myself to my wife or my kids. Oh God, they're just there. It's annoying me. Uh, we're not, you know, these are breaking out. I need to be able to go recharge. And my recharge is again, a waste of time. It's, I got to go out <laughs> with the, I got to, I got to go play video games or I need to go hang, you know, watch football. Don't talk to me for three hours. I'm not saying don't watch it. What I'm saying is the mentality around it. Um, mm -hmm. I need to go hang out with my bros versus I've got a good group of men behind me that'll hold me to a higher standard. Uh, those are the conversations you start to hear where you're like, okay, there is some deeper rooted work that we need to do because there are some fears there. Uh, there are some stories you are telling yourself about the stories you're telling yourself. Uh, and we need to work through what those are because you're playing the victim. One of our men did a great post last night. We have a private workplace platform for them. And, um, you know, he said his little girl uh, came to him and was just like, daddy, you know, I really don't like to talk to you. And she's like six. And she's like, I really don't like to talk to you about a lot of things. Cause you always get mad. You don't listen to mommy. You always get mad at her. Maybe you guys need a break because you just seem like you're never really happy. Our kids <laughs> should, right. Kill me now. Like yeah. <laughs> men are responsible for controlling the energy in their house. And if they're not, 
it's some sort of, uh, you know, it's a fear or it's a self-loathing. It's a self-confidence issue because you know, you're not stepping into your potential. And those are a lot of the conversations we're having. Oh man. Okay. Let, let's get into that a little bit. So mm-hmm. men should be leading the home. Uh, what a, it's, it's weird that that's even become like a controversial statement in our society. I don't right? really understand that, uh, but, but, but I'm on board with you, man. Can you talk a little bit about, maybe we can paint a picture of like a prototype, like when a man is leading well in the home and he's controlling the energy of the household, what does that look like? So good. So we can blanket statement it, but it also needs to be individualized. So we can blanket statement, right? We can blanket statement the, um, you know, the prototype where dad is, is, an an inspired individual. He is uh, serving with a purpose and his entire family knows that purpose, right? He Mm. he himself is purpose driven. He is on a mission and it's Hmm. not a mission that I then come home. I put that on the shelf and I come home and now it's like, okay, a wife and get, no, they know what that mission is. They know who he is, right? He is, uh, so he's inspired in that way, but he's also joyful. He brings fun into the home. He's also consistent. They know Mm. his word is his word and he lives by it. There is no, he says this and does this, right? Your young people will do what you do before they do what you say, because what you do is really who you are, not what you're saying. So if I tell my kids, I will never lie to you, but they catch me even in a, you know, I don't even do Santa Claus, man. Like we don't even do that because that to me, that's a lie. It's not real. It's not. So I don't want my kids to ever look back and go, okay, but that one time, right? Nope. No hypocrisy from dad. He's consistent Mm. in that way. Um, So he's consistent. He's joyful. He's inspired himself. He brings order to the chaos with his presence. He is calm as he walks into any of the rooms. He's truly there uh, to provide a sense of peace. And that doesn't mean everybody's quiet. It just means there's peace up here. We know we're safe. We know we're protected. We know we're going to be challenged. We know we're on this mission. We know we're living this adventure. We know nobody else can shake that because dad is this unshakable, optimistic rock. Hmm. To me, that's the blanket statement, right? And then you can individualize because the individualization is what allows you to tap into stepping into that role. And so here's here's what I mean by that. Plato sure. had this idea of uh, what he called the forms, right? They were the ideals. Uh, and we dive into this with our men and we do this with our young men too, but we do this right away with our men is we dive into having them create these ideals. What is the prototype for you as a husband? What is the husband that you know your wife wants and needs Those aren't the same thing, by the way, but you know what she wants and what she needs. What does that man look like? By the way, he's slightly different. It's still you, but he's slightly different than the man that your kids want and need. Still you, just different parts of you elevated. By the Hmm. way, that's a different man that goes to work. Same guy but different elements that are being elevated. The guy that goes to the gym, same guy, but different parts are elevated. So we help them build out the ideal version of all of those. 
and they build out a board of directors for each category, meaning they go, okay, who are the people that live this element, whether those are real, fictional, alive, dead, who are the people that I have a strong emotional connection with that I really see them live out that piece, that ideal. And so we're, we're tapping into the psychology of, of calling them to be the bravest version of themselves in every single category moving forward. That's the individualized piece because then they're more willing to step into it because there's that emotional connection. I love this for Dude. question. Yeah, that, well, that, that was an amazing answer. Like, I, I want to go do that right now after this podcast is over. What a cool exercise. It's the best. So, so I guess it, it sounds to me like there's sort of this dichotomy where men have to be, uh, like, I, I love what you said, like consistent, unwavering, true to their word. Dad is the rock. The husband is the rock. There's joyfulness. There's fun. There's an integration of mission with the family. So, um, there's sort of this big like anchoring piece. Mm -hmm. And then it sounds to me like what you're saying is the individualized element is actually the more malleable, Mm -hmm. flexible part of man where it Mm -hmm. has to be like, we do these things as sort of the bedrock. That's the foundation. But then we're agreeing to grow. We're agreeing to, uh, to be, you know, to be transformed like the Bible would say and made into the likeness of some of these people that maybe we're, we're following, whether it's in our fitness in our marriages, in our families, our spiritual life, business, finances, whatever it might be. Am I, am I getting that right? You're absolutely getting it right. And I love that you brought the biblical element into it. And, and I think it's the same for any relationship, right? It's, it is the, the foundational piece is I love God and I want that relationship with him. That's the foundational piece. But as time goes on, if you haven't changed because of or during that that pursuit of God, well, then you didn't really you didn't grow. You didn't go like what are you what are you doing right? So that should be malleable. You should be able to look back at any pillar in your life that matters. I can look back at my own spiritual journey five years ago and go, ooh, that's embarrassing, right? I should be able to look back at my relationship with my wife five years ago and go, oh gosh, what a chump, right? And it didn't mean I didn't <laughs> love her then, wasn't fully committed. I was. I just wasn't at the level as I am now. And likewise, yeah. five years from now, I should look back at this mat today and go, oh God, you had so much left to learn, right? Because <laughs> that's the adventure. That's the beauty is that growth. The foundational things are the foundational things, but you grow individually within those. So you're exactly right. Yeah. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. So if somebody did, I mean, I'm, I'm now, I'm just asking this, I'm pretending this for my audience, but really it's for me. If somebody wanted to do this exercise, what, um, how, how do you find some of these, these prototypes of these people to look after? Um, you know, like I'm thinking about fitness. That's an area I've been really trying to improve on the last year and a half. Mm-hmm. I think it's easy to just go find some bodybuilder, some muscly guy out there, but are there things you're looking for? Cause I know for me, like I, I love the people who have something that I maybe long for in life, but then I get to know them and I see there's a value system that kind of undergirds the results they have. That stuff really helps. I mean, are there things like that that you you scan or sift for when you're trying to set these prototypes? Yeah, it's a really good question. So we actually start even a little bit before that from the foundation of of killing our old uh, self. It's kind of that, uh, it's almost like a psychological baptism, right? It's dying to the old to mm. build the new first. So when I take a look at any of these pillars and each one of those try to individualize for these men. So we take a look at them as the husband, them as the father, them as the, the businessman or entrepreneur. Um, if there's a relationship piece that needs to be fixed with the parents, you know, maybe it's them as a son, uh, them as the friend, they can build out 
you know, any, as many as they want to really, but we really focus and emphasize on uh, the, the father piece, the husband piece, the, the business entrepreneur piece, you know, and with that financial aspect and the physical fitness side, we really emphasize those with working with them over the course of the year and, and have them build that out. So they've got to die to the old first. What are the habits that you know you're bringing to the table that you shouldn't? What are the things, where are the things that you've gotten complacent where you just do it because you do it and and there's not really the intentionality or the emotion behind it and you're not really pushing the envelope let's see where that is first and then let's kill that and let's die to it then as we build out the ideals what would the ideal person be doing and when you have that list of ideals then you're looking for the board of directors that is a combination of men who are living in that combination those ideals and the men themselves are all going to be, there's no such thing as infallibility in, in terms of that. So, you know, unless you're putting God in there, but we, we're encouraging them to look at other men in history or again, fictional characters, whatever sure. they have. A, the key is they have an emotional tie to that person uh, for some reason. Okay. That's the key. And there's an emotional tie. There's a specific thing about them. So like, for example, for me, there is an emotional tie for me to the William Wallace that is portrayed by Mel Gibson in Braveheart, right? (laughs) There's a very specific emotional tie for me that played a very significant role in my life. Hmm. So because there's that strong emotional tie, well, that version, that William Wallace, yes, it's a theater version. I get it. But the point is he is able to sit on my board of directors when it comes to the leadership that I bring to the men that I serve in work. Right. Mm-hmm. There is a, and it doesn't mean I'm going to go out there and start chopping heads because I'm not trying to be the totality of him. What I'm doing is I'm recognizing something in him that I also believe God gave me in myself and mm-hmm. his counsel in my mind challenges me to be brave enough to elevate to mm-hmm. that part. Right. So I'm looking at that specific yeah. leadership component. And then there are other. So right here, I got. I got Morpheus, right? From somebody gave me the bobblehead of that. So Morpheus, (laughs) right? From the matrix. Again, there's a significant emotional connection for me there. So my board of directors, as I'm looking to myself as a leader for these other men, there's that William Wallace version. Hey, guess what? Morpheus is also in there. There's elements Mm. of him and his wisdom and the way that he Socratically engages with the people around him. He's not the do this, do this, do this. He's like, hmm, what if this? And what if this isn't exactly as, and I love that. I think an educator always takes that stance. So he's in my board of directors, right? So we're building this out with extreme intentionality for every single pillar of our life that matters. So that when I'm in a situation, even with my wife, I can go, okay, well, the husband board of directors, I can go in my mind, Think, okay, these guys are sitting around the table right now. How would they tell me to engage here? What would this conversation wow. look like? Right? What do people we used to wear the WWJD bracelets, right? What yep. are are they saying I'm Jesus? No, they're not saying they're Jesus. They're reminding themselves. It's a it's a physical trigger to go, okay, how would he handle this situation? We're doing the same thing. We're just putting it in these different boardrooms. And we're giving them tools to actually physically switch into this too. So like when I step out of my office, I'm going to lunch with my kids today. I'm going into dad role and there's going to be very specific physical trigger for me to go, okay, 
you're in dad mode now. You're no longer in the guy on the podcast mode. Right. right. So we're helping them walk through the psychology of, of all of that. That's amazing. Yeah. I, I know. Um, was it Napoleon Hill that popularized this concept yes, from like a business? Yeah. Correct. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. It's an amazing, amazing approach and very, very cool. Do, yep. do the board or do the directors change, Matt, as you, you maybe you move bet. on in life or a different season or whatever it might be? You bet. They very much can, you know, and I've had, I've had that, uh, happen. I mean, I'm intentional about that. It's not happened. It doesn't just happen to you. I'm intentional about that. As I continue to grow, um, I will, I will switch somebody out and say, okay, that was for, you know, a season that, that no longer, um, serves me as I grow. I want to add this man instead. I want to take this man out. Um, all of those things in, in all of those pillars for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So I want to bring, bring this a little bit full circle now. We talked about youth and um, kids at the beginning, mm-hmm. and we're talking now about men, what it looks like for men to lead, yes, to sir. really walk into everything that God's called them to, everything God's made them to be. I kind of get the impression, though, that you don't believe that guys should actually be stepping into this when they're in their 20s and 30s and 40s. I kind of get the idea that you think guys should be stepping into this when they're very young. Um, I think like it's as young as 12 years old that you're working with that you're, you're calling out the leader in them at a very young age. So that, like you said, I love that quote, like it's, it's easier to build strong children than to fix broken men. Yep. How does, how does some of the ideals that we just cast here for grown men, how do those translate when you're, you are raising boys and, and teaching them to be leaders? We talked about some things already, but I guess I'm just curious, like can, can little kids do this as well? Can they have their board of directors or what does that stuff look like? It's a really good question. Can they do this? Yes. Should they do this? Yes. Will they fully comprehend it to the level that a grown man uh, would with more life experience and with a, you know, quote unquote, fully developed brain? Uh, Not necessarily, but they don't need to because we're building in the habits uh, Mm. that are going to, once all those things are ingrained, right, that, that will take them, that will take them off forever. So one of the first books that we have are young scratch that the very first book we recommend our young people read as they come in is a book called do hard things it was written by two 18 year old brothers and the concept of the book is to push back on societal norms for young people and one of the things that they talk about in that book is that the word teenager did not exist until 1944 wow isn't that crazy the word teenager didn't even exist because culturally, conceptually, as you came into your teen years, and we saw this with a lot of cultures, right? You got your bar mitzvahs and your bat mitzvahs and your quinceañeras, and you got your, right? And you have your your Spartan culture had the agogi, and you had you had all of these things where they started to recognize, look, you're pretty freaking capable. Do you have all these conceptual abstract understandings yet? Nope but we're going to give you a whole lot of responsibility and show you this path that will help you get there sooner because kids want to take these tasks on. They actually want to take on hard things. They actually have a DNA inside them where it's like, I'm responsible. You, you'll see when you have kids of your own someday, you're going to have your kids that are going to be four and they're going to be five. And they're like, can I help? Can I help with dinner? Can I help outside? And what do we do as a call? Nah, no, it's going to take me too long. So no, 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 no. Just go play. Just go play. Just go play. They want to take things on. All we're Mm. doing is allowing them to do that. And what happens is you then have wildly responsible 12, 13, 14, 15 year olds. Look at the people who signed 
you know, the Declaration of Independence and who wrote, they were freaking teenagers, man. They were 12, 13, running their own businesses. They were married at 16 sometimes. They were taking men into war at 14. They were living out on their own at 15 as a surveyor in the wilderness for a week. Our mm. DNA has not changed from that. The cultural expectations have changed for that. We've continuously lowered the bar. So all mm. we're doing is removing that stigma and just reminding them. Now, the battle is if they do our program and then dad is a perpetual boy or they're doing our program and the parents are like, ah, yeah, but school, but they need algebra. And I'm like, no, no, no. They need responsive freaking ability. <laughs> you know, and, and so people will trade off the cultural norm for the way it's actually been since the dawn of time. Yeah. And that's where we're missing the boat. Wow. That's really, really good. So it sounds like, and, and I, I'm a big believer in this, even like for me, as I build my team out on, on the business and my wife and I talk about family culture all the time, even though it's just the two of us. Mm -hmm. um, but it, it sounds to me like you can pull a lot more out of people if you can communicate that you believe they're capable. Because okay. I think that's, that's what's kind of lost in these like expectations or lowering the bar, right? Like people will always rise to the standard that you hold them to. And so yes. if we have these low standards for our kids, then yeah, they are, they are going to reach those standards, but they could have done so much more if we would have expected more. And obviously not in like some tyrannical kind of way, but not at that's all. what again, I hear you saying, right? Is, that's right. That's exactly right. Leading by example. Like I, uh, again, we live on a, um, and I love how you said, you know, the, uh, as far as the bar and the standards, like those are the standards we should be hitting. There's a military adage, um, you know, I have so many friends now, especially working with Tim, so many friends in the special operations community. And we brought, you know, generals and SEALs and Delta guys and all these guys in to speak to our men and our young men. And so I've got a lot of friends in that community now. And they talk about uh, the fact that you don't rise to the occasion, you fall back to the level of your training. And it's that same mm -hmm. thing, right? Yeah. What is the lowest common denominator in, in and that you're training? Like this is our... This is our baseline normal. And in the worst case scenario, you're going to fall back to the baseline normal. Well, guess what? My three kids that I'm raising, their baseline normal on their worst day crushes the majority of adults. Never mind other kids. It crushes the majority of adults in terms of what they're willing to do, how their mindset is, how at peace they are, the responsibilities they're willing to handle, how much they're willing to go the extra mile to serve somebody else, right? Because it's baseline normal in our house. We don't we live on a farm. There are a lot of things to do on a farm. And not yeah. only do we live on a farm, we also provide food to local restaurants. We also have multiple businesses that we run. And I say we because it's not daddy's businesses. It is our family. We're all responsible and there's no struggle to get my kids to do anything. You know why? We do it together, man. We enjoy it. It's part of the mission. They see the big picture. Uh, man, we're happy as junk. And it's my responsibility to set that tone, to keep our baseline normal higher than other people even believe is a possibility. That's my job. Wow. That's so good. Okay. So where I want to land this is the word responsibility, because I'm hearing it come up a lot. Clearly it's central to what you're doing. And uh, it's funny in my book, uh, chapter two, we talk about the principal stack, which is kind of laying the foundation for people who want to recover. Yeah. And our, our first principle is identifying what you can and can't control 
Mm-hmm. And then principle number two is taking responsibility for the things that you can control. Um, because I'm, I'm totally with you, man. Like that is literally where everything starts and ends in this thing called life. Mm-hmm. Can you speak to people who maybe are listening, man? And they're like, okay, I think there's some areas where I am actually living in a bit of a, a victim mindset, or mm-hmm. I'm not taking full responsibility. Like I know I should be. Mm-hmm. How, how can people take another step today from this podcast and acquire a little bit more responsibility in their lives? That's a really good question. I think it goes back to what we were saying earlier as well on, it's not just the the part of building the the new story, building the new habits, building the new, it's you got to kill the old stuff first, right? So we've got to, we've got to be willing to, to get rid of all that. You can't, you know, it's uh if you want to start eating healthy, it's not just about, well, let's bring in all the good food if you still have all the junk food that's in the house and now you're mixing the two. Okay, well, cool. You're going to get some good results, but you might get some bad results too. You're not really trying to optimize it. So we've got to get rid of the junk food and then move over to this where we've got just nothing but the good food, right? And so Mm. I think for, for so many people, it's the same thing. They're trying to add without taking away the, the nonsense, first it's it's the addition by subtraction sort of deal so we got to figure out yeah. what is what are these stories that you're telling yourself what are these what are these victim stories what are the stories again what alan watts said and i love this he talks about the thinking about your thinking is is a really hard thing to do because you're not only the story that you're living that you're telling yourself but thinking about how you think about that story how do you continuously put yourself in those scenarios that you're repeating these same habits over and over again, even though you know you're not supposed to, but you're not thinking about your thinking. So one of the exercises we have uh, these guys do, and I have my young people do it, and I have students do it as well, is to think about something that either um, either hurts you uh, or it annoys you or that really haunts you. What yeah. are these things? What are these stories? Because there's usually a few for each of us. And mm-hmm. we write those out. We actually put pen to paper. That's the beauty of writing. Writing for the sake of writing essays and what academia has done for writing is they've screwed it all up. Writing is to be able to organize your thoughts, is to make you a better thinker uh, above all else. And so you start writing these out, write it out word for word, detail for detail, and then go back through and start to revisit that and start to read those, start to breathe while you read those, start to, what you end up doing is you end up kind of looking at this big dragon in your mind. Now you see it on paper and you're like, all right, that sucks. And maybe you were genuinely a victim. Maybe. But you start to eliminate the victim mentality around it. You start to breathe through it and go, okay, but this is just the story I'm telling myself about this story. So you can start to shift that. Once you start to shift that and do that over and over and over again, as many times as you need to, then you can start building out the habits of this new person moving forward. What are their habits? And then, you know, I, I love resources like Atomic Habits by James Clear. And, and um, you know, I mean, I think all of that is, I think all of that's phenomenal, but you got to kill the victim mentality first. That's so good, Matt. I, I feel like I made a new friend, man. This was just incredible. Exactly. So rich, a, a lot of alignment here. Uh, for people who want to find out more about Apogee and, and what you guys are up to, What's the best way for them to do that? Thank you, man. I appreciate that very much. Um, the best place right now is apogeestrongprograms.com because it goes into everything we're doing. We're redoing the entire uh, 
website. I mean, we we really haven't put any focus on tech at all. So um, Apogee Strong programs will at least give you an overview. You can check out apogeestrongfoundation.org uh, to see the 501c3 that's around all of this same this same mission. Um, and then we're on IG at Apogee Program. You can also find me. I'm most active on IG just at my name. But any of those any of those places are great. Okay, that's amazing, man. We'll put links to all that in the show notes. Thanks, brother. Matt, thanks so much for your time today, brother. Appreciate it. Honor's mine, man. Thank you. Man, oh man, what a great interview that was with Matt. I feel like I learned a lot. I was taking notes like furiously at some certain points there, but really deeply resonate with him as well. Just high, high achiever, similar thoughts about masculinity and manhood. And I hope that you guys feel challenged. I hope that you feel encouraged and I hope you feel a little bit inspired after all that as well. Here's what I want you to do. Go check these guys out. Matt's got some great content on Instagram. ApogeeStrong.com is a good kind of gateway to all the stuff they're doing. And then we have links in the show notes to the programs and to their 501c3 foundation as well. So lots of options for you there. And look, if you are struggling with a porn addiction, you know that it's time to take control. It's time to take responsibility of your life again. It's time to become the man that God has called you to be. Well, there's a link in the show notes for you to book a time with somebody on our team. We sit down with probably about 35 to 40 men a week, and we hear stories uh, of all kinds of walks of life, all different ages and races and you know socioeconomic statuses. But the one thing they all have in common is they've tried pretty much everything in the book, the filters, the spiritual disciplines, the willpower and white knuckling and accountability partners, and it's gotten them nowhere. So if that's you and you're ready to actually get to the roots of the issue, make a change in your life once and for all, you can book a time with somebody in my team. Uh, hopefully there's still some spots available. They fill up pretty quickly, uh, but we would love to speak with you and we'd love to see if we can help you. So the link's in the show notes. Guys, in the meantime, much love to all of you. Have an amazing day. We'll talk soon. Bye-bye. Hey everybody, it's Sathya again. Thanks for listening to Unleash the Man Within. I wanted to take a quick moment to let you know about a free ebook that I wrote for you called The Ultimate Guide to Porn Recovery. It provides a basic framework for the recovery process and a few of my top tips completely free of charge. You can get it now at www.ultimaterecoveryguide.com. That's www.ultimaterecoveryguide.com. Now, if you've been impacted by the podcast and you want to show some support in less than 60 seconds, there are three ways you can do that. First, you can leave a rating or review on your podcast platform. This lets people like you know that the content here is valuable. Secondly, you can share this episode with someone in your life that might benefit from the content. If you're passionate about helping other people experience freedom and success in their lives, this is one of the easiest ways to do that. And lastly, you can subscribe. I personally only listen to the podcast that I subscribe to. If you're seeking daily encouragement, guidance, and insight in your recovery journey, I highly recommend subscribing to Unleash the Man Within. Thanks for listening. I look forward to connecting with you very, very soon. The information, opinions, and recommendations presented in this podcast by Sathya Sam and his guests are for general information only and should not be considered medical, clinical, or any other form of professional advice. Any reliance on the information provided is done at your own risk.